In just a couple of days, it's 2019, right? And what do you do in 2019? The same thing that we do every year, right? Resolutions! Woohoo! Yes! It is that lovely time of the year when we make all these promises to ourselves and our scales and our bank accounts and all those other things. And so we put together this list that we hope, we hope to accomplish in the next year. And we break it on January 2nd. All right. Just being honest, right? Many of us are pumped up about 2019. All right. It's a new start. All right. 2018 may not have been everything we had hoped, right? Uh, and some of us, though, are the opposite. Some of us are very anxious about 2019. Whether 2018 has been a good year, bad year, indifferent, whatever the case may be, you have an anxiety. You've got a fear about 2019. This year may have been so good, you want to hold on to it. And you're afraid of what the unknown is. Some of us have had a rough year and we think, how in the world could it get any better? So 2019 is a scary place. Well, I have a truth and we're going to unpack this truth throughout this time. It's going to sound like a tough truth to begin with, but I want you to actually rest in Uh, What the Bible says about this truth. You have no idea what's going to happen in 2019. All right? Let's just lay that out from the beginning. You and I have no idea what to expect in 2019. Whether good, whether not so good, whether indifferent. Whatever the case may be. So as we approach this new year, okay? With uncertainty in our mind, what I want to do today is give you seven resolutions, so to speak. Seven uh, resolutions... Uh, Revolutions, that'd be good too. All right. Anyways, seven resolutions as we prepare for the next year. And if you have your Bible, I want you to go to uh, the book of Philippians. We're going to be in there pretty much the whole time. Uh, For time's sake, I want to kind of just focus on that passage. I'll I'll hop on a couple of other ones. But I want to focus on this because we're going to talk about seven resolutions. And to some of you, you're saying seven resolutions... The pastor said it. That must mean there's there's seven points. Oh dear, we're going to be here a while. No, <laughs> maybe not so. Uh, we got, what, two days till 2019. Let's all usher in the year together, right? <laughs> Just kidding. All right. Resolution number one. All right. Think about, think about what we've covered so far uh, in these past four weeks. We've talked about fear. Christmas, to many people, was a time of great fear. All right. Especially... Whenever life is going chaotic, okay? There are some people that are afraid that God's not answering their prayers. We dealt with that with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Some of us, uh, we fear the impossible. Okay, I can't get out of this situation. God can't, he can't get me out either. That's what we think. But we find out from Mary's situation is that God is the God of the impossible. Not only can he cause a virgin to to have a baby, he can cause an older woman who was past her uh, birthing years, plus she was barren, God was able to do that. But even bigger than all that, God was able to take a young girl who may have been raised in a good home, but she, like every one of us, are people that in, our, in, our de- in the depths of our hearts were rebellious against God. And God poured his grace on Mary. If God can save you from uh, a destination of a sinner's hell to a saint's heaven, God can do anything. You don't have to fear that. God can take care of whatever it is that you are struggling with at this very moment. 
We learned that, it's, that you don't have to fear to do what God tells you to do. You don't have to fear. Joseph knew that. And he went ahead and married Mary even though he didn't know all the circumstances. And then, of course, we found out on Christmas, Adam, Christmas Eve, that, um, that you don't have to fear. Nobody in this room has to fear being eternally separated from God. Why? Because Jesus came. Because he came for you. And if you would put your faith and trust in him, you will have nothing to fear. So what I want to do today is kind of cover everything. All right, when it comes to fear, we need to be people who are fearless. And these seven resolutions, I think, can put us on the track of having less fear than we have had in the past. Number one, resolution number one, rejoice in the Lord. These points are going to come pretty much right out of the text. So if you have your Bible and you'd like to take notes, man, go right ahead. Underline some things, that's great. But in Philippians chapter 4, that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time in. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. Philippians 4, verse 4. And here's what the scripture says. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. How often? Always. Again, Paul says what? Rejoice. Rejoice. How in the world can you and I rejoice when we do not know what the future holds? Listen, Paul didn't start this sentence by saying simply rejoice. He said to rejoice in something. He said to rejoice in the Lord. The Lord, Jesus Christ, must be the object, must be the basis of our joy. The problem that I have, the problem that many of you have is this. Many times we're going to want to base our joy, base our happiness on ever-changing circumstances. All right? I'm going to base my joy this year on my health. Some of us are going to base our joy on our bank account, our stock markets, uh, our job security, or even our family makeup. Listen, I am responsible for what I do and do not do. I'm not responsible for what my family does. Okay, from, from they got a decision to make and they're going to be accountable to it. I wish I, I wish I could make decisions for some people, right? Don't you? But you can't. You have no idea what your family is going to look like next year. You have no idea about your job security. You have no idea about all these things. These things are going to change. Sometimes, from our perspective, it's going to change positively. Okay? There may be a new birth. There may be a promotion. Something may go good and cause your bank to to double or triple your, your account. Something like that may happen. You may be cured of an illness that the doctor just said a couple of months ago it was incurable. He's the God of the impossible. God can do that. But sometimes that will not happen. So instead of basing our joy on ever-changing circumstances, what we need to do is base our confidence, base our joy on that which is unchanging. We need to base it, just like Paul says here, rejoice in the Lord. We need to rejoice in God's unchanging word and his ever-faithful promises. 
Listen, some of us are going to experience, if you're a believer in Christ, I'm here to tell you what you're going to experience this year. Some of you are going to experience feast, famine. Feast or famine or both. But no matter what, he is still your father. He knows you. He understands the situation you're in. He cares and he will accomplish his will in 2019. I'm going to say that again. God is going to accomplish his will in 2019. Listen, don't fear this. You're not big enough to mess up God's plans. You're not strong enough. Some of us this year are going to experience victories. And some of us are going to experience defeats. No matter what, if you have Christ, he is your shield He is your strong defender and he is your hope. You may get struck down, but you will not be defeated. You may be crushed. You may be dismayed. It's not the end. Sometimes this year, you're going to be very faithful to God. And all of us are going to sin. Even in the midst of that, Jesus is our Savior. Constant Savior. No matter who you are. If you're His, if you have trusted in Him, He is your Savior. Some of us are going to experience life around the house. Some of us are going to experience death. No matter what, he is with me. So I can know, I must rejoice in the Lord. I must do that. And listen, the only way that a Christian who is focused on the Lord, rejoicing in him, the only way that a Christian can be joyless is if he is separated from his Savior, which is an impossibility. Romans eight thirty five says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? He goes on to say in verse 37, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, Paul says, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of this world and all of the created universe will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. So our joy cannot be based on ever-changing circumstances that are always going to change. But instead, we must base it on the unchanging person of God. Rejoice, church, in the Lord. Rejoice in Him. And listen, when, not if, when circumstances do change, we know that God already knows that. And he has already worked in that situation for your good and for his glory. You can't lose. You're not. Rejoice in the Lord. Number two, this is a bit more difficult. Be gentle to others. Some of you have different uh, uh, translations of this word, uh, gentleness. 
uh, to some of it, let your reasonableness, uh, so to speak. But listen to what Philippians 4, 5 says. Let your compassion, let your reasonableness, may your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. This word reasonableness or gentleness, it means a kindness, a restraint. Okay, sometimes when you think of kindness, you think of, oh, what a lovely day. I want to be lovely towards you. But when you use the word restraint, it's almost like I want to punch you in the face, but I'm not. Okay, so that's a very interesting word. That's why your different translations have different words for this. All right, so it is a kindness. It is a gentle restraint. It is a self-control. It is a yielding. R.C. Sproul says this, it is a generous spirit that rises above offenses. Okay, this is not just being kind. When he says, for this year, a resolution to us to be gentle to others, it's saying, be kind to those who don't deserve it. Okay, we are to be gentle to others. No doubt, in this room, every one of you, every one of you have been wronged by somebody. There's no doubt about it. Every one of us have been wronged. God knows this. Remember, he's sovereign. He's overall. He knows this. And God, in his perfect plan and timing, he'll deal with that. He'll deal with those wrongs that you have have been subjected to. All right? There's some times in your life that you have been right. Everyone else has been wrong and they went against you. Again, God's got that. But what I'm concerned about is you. How do you respond in that? Well, according to the scriptures, here's how you're to respond. And I don't mean to to make this sound light, okay? When you've been wronged, according to the authority of God's word, chill out. Calm down. Or to put it another way, musically, because I love to sing. Let it go, let it go. Okay, sorry, sorry. That was for you, Kenny. Okay, let it go, bro. No, listen. Let it go. It's doing no good right here. It's doing no good up here. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. He says in Romans chapter 12, verse 17 through 21, listen to this. Paul says, repay no one evil for evil. You know, Adrian Rogers says it this way. He says, if you repay evil for evil, you're just like any other human. If someone does good to you and you repay them with good, that's human. Okay? Anyone can do that. If someone does good to you and you repay them by evil, that's devilish. But if someone brings you evil and you do good to them instead, that's heavenly. Listen to what it says. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Don't pick up the sword. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, guess what? Don't laugh, don't mock whenever your enemy is down. Don't kick them when they're down. Instead, feed them. When your enemy is in need, care for them. 
If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing, you will heat burning coals on his head. Okay, by doing that, hopefully what happens is he feels a weight or she feels a weight or a conviction that what I have been doing to this person is wrong. There's a higher authority that people start to find out when you do good, when people do bad. They realize, uh uh-oh, you know what? I may be accountable to someone and you may have the great opportunity to show and share Christ with them. He says, he closes with this, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You can only do that. You can only do that fully and truly if you have a relationship with God through Christ. Outwardly, you can do it, whether you know God or not, okay? You can fake it. But the only way you can truly love someone who hates you is if you have the same mind of Christ. That's the only way. As believers, you and I are to be known by our gentleness. We're to be known by our compassion. So if someone wrongs you, stop retaliating. Instead, show gentleness to all, just as Christ did for you. In 2 Peter, this passage blows my mind. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. The scripture says, And Jesus committed no sin, right? Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, when he was picked on, He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to the Father who judges justly. When Jesus was on the cross, he wasn't saying, oh, buddy, your time is coming. You just wait. No, he prayed for those very people who hung him on a cross. The very people who spit in his face through words of contempt. He looked to heaven and gave words of peace and words of forgiveness. And we are to do the same thing. Third thing we're to do is to remember the nearness of God. This is a beautiful thing for believers, right? For believers. Beautiful thing. Psalm 139 says, wherever I go, God is with me. Whether I'm in the lowest lows or the highest highs, whether I'm east, west, no matter where I'm at, God is with me and his right hand is guiding me. It is a beautiful thing for believers to know the very truth that God is always with us. Philippians 4, 5 says this, um, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Looking at certain commentators, there's two different views of what this means when it says the Lord is at hand. Number one, God is present with us now, right next to us. Okay, that's, that's good because it's true. Okay, other passages say that as well. Another one, it's referring to the second coming of Christ. Hey, guess what? That's true too, okay? So either way works for me because both of these things are true in other passages of scriptures and both of these truths can help you and I gain a proper perspective of life. For example, knowing that God is near is gonna give me strength to joy in him even when others don't. Even when the world is against me, I know that if God is with me, Who really can be against me? No matter the situation that Paul would say later on in Philippians 4. He says, I can do all things, all things through Christ Christ who gives me strength. 
He's not saying that for people to do uh, 200 push-ups, all right? That's not a promise from God. I can do anything. That's weird, okay? Totally out of context. It's about suffering. It's about following Christ. It's about being gentle whenever you want to be wrathful. God gives you the ability to be like him. That is insane. So knowing that God is near you, let that bring you strength, church. But also know that he's coming soon. And that should motivate each and every one of us to patiently live lives that would honor him when he does arrive. Because church, he is coming again. He's coming. Unless I know this may sound corny, but it's true. His coming is nearer now than it has ever been. The older I get, the more I long for that. When I was younger, and even now, I want to see my kids graduate from college. I want to have grandkids. I've had two generations that in my family that has never had grandparents. All right? I've had my dad and my grandfather both died in their 40s. That's kind of scary because I'm 44, okay? Uh, so, yeah, I want to see grandkids. But you know what I also want even more than that? I want my daughters to not experience another minute in a, in a sinful world with sinful flesh. To know that my daughters have received Christ and to know that if Jesus came back this very moment, we are not going to regret missing anything. We'll be in his presence and with all those who have called upon his name. Remember the nearness of God. Let me ask you, church, do you believe that God is with you? Do you really believe that God is with you? That you're never alone? Church, do you believe that Jesus is going to physically come back soon to end all sin? to take his people home, to judge the world, to right all wrongs, and to reward his saints. If you do, remember this every day. Remember the nearness of God. Which brings us to number four. Pray about everything. Pray about everything. Listen to Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious do not be fearful about anything, but in what? Yeah, okay, in what? In everything, okay? See, if, if, if I had a pen in my hand, I would underline, do not be anxious about anything. I'd do anything, and I'd say, but in everything, by prayer, supplication with thanksgiving. I kind of have arrows going there, because that's true, Don't be anxious about anything, fear nothing, but instead by prayer and requests, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know what anxiousness comes from? Anxiousness comes from not following number one, resolution number one. Okay, focusing on ever-changing circumstances instead of rejoicing in the Lord. I've experienced this before. I've seen it happen. Where you have a great, 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 great grandmother, okay, who was 119, okay, I mean, struggling for every breath in her being, couldn't move, couldn't do anything. One day she dies and the family is upset with God. How dare you take my Nanimal? Nanimal? I don't know where that came from. But they, and they get mad at heaven for taking someone away who every morning has been praying, God, take me today. 
But then on the other side, I've seen a family at a funeral where the casket no bigger than one of these boxes. And they say, Child's not going to come back to me, but one day I'm going to come to them. Praise be the name of the Lord our God. How can you have such different views here? Because listen, if your focus is your circumstances, okay, you will define God by your circumstances. Things go up and down, you think God's up and down. You think God's not faithful. But the opposite is also true. If you define your circumstances by God and who he is, then you'll know that these things come and go, but they're all going to be used by God in his perfect tapestry to weave his perfect will for your life. So when a friend dies, if you're focused on circumstances, you think God robbed you. But if you see it from God's perspective, and you know and you care about this person, you weep, you hurt, but you know that he or she is in a better place if they have come to know the Lord. Everything changes. Everything changes. Anxiousness comes from focusing on ever-changing circumstances instead of rejoicing in the Lord. Rick Warren says it this way. He says, you have two options. Every one of you here have two options when it comes to worry. Two options. Pray or panic. Worry or worship. Those are your two options. It is your choice, he said. Prayer implies trust. Worry implies distrust. But listen, church, prayer is not magic. You know what prayer is? Prayer is talking to God about your needs, knowing that he is the one who can meet them. He's got all the resources of everything. He can meet them. And he cares for you. And he can take care of your needs. And listen, I want to make just another blanket statement here. You can back it up in Scripture, Matthew 6 as well. Worry and anxiousness is never going to solve your problem. Jesus says worrying about it doesn't make you grow another inch. And what he means by that is worrying about it's not going to to fix anything. Worrying about anything fixes nothing. But trusting and doing what God tells you to do, that's everything. That's everything. James 5.16 says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Worrying does nothing for your problem. Trusting and praying and focusing on God solves it. I don't know what that that solution is, but it solves it. Therefore, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So the remedy of anxiousness is very simple, church. Okay, and I got this from somewhere. I don't know who wrote it. Don't worry about anything. All right. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. But if you look at the rest of the passage, it says, be thankful for anything. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Be thankful for anything. Look at what the scripture says. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. You and I need to be people who pray with thanksgiving in my heart. I need to come to God with this. God, I don't have a plan. I have ideas, but you are the master. 
Okay? Instead of me trying to figure out a plan and letting God try to work out my will, instead I need to come with him with humility and thankfulness saying, God, whatever your will is, I'm going to do it. If you have that type of attitude, you're going to see God work in your life that you have never experienced before. Some of us right now struggle with that, don't we? Man, it seems like God works in my neighbor's life. God works in that other person's life, but never me. I ask you this. Are you in his will? Are you following him? Are you, are you believing his word? Are you spending consistent time with God? When God tells you to do something, do you do it? Sometimes the only way you're going to see God in your life is if you obey him. Is if you take a step in faith where you got nothing else but God on your side, then you're going to see him work. You're going to see him do things uh, more abundant than you could ever hope, think, or imagine. So listen, when you pray, no matter what the answer is, church, no matter what God's answer to your prayer is, here's your response. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Pray about everything. Number five. Now it's, it's going to get crazy practical here. We need to develop right patterns of thought. We need to develop right patterns of thought. Philippians 4.8 says this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Church, men, Women, boys, girls, listen to me. More than likely, your biggest enemy is your mind. The biggest enemy in your life is your mind. Because we have spent all of our lives, whether it's 12 years or 92 years, we have spent much of it listening to half-truths, untruths, and garbage. The greatest need that I have this year, the greatest need that you have this year, is to renew your mind. To renew your mind. To fill our minds with those things that Scripture says are true. See that in the Scripture? True. That means not false. (laughs) Brilliant. Write that down. Okay? It means genuine, real, honest. Now, I'm not just saying... You know, stop watching those crazy action movies and focus on Hallmark movies. Because those aren't very honest either. Come on. Always a happy ending. Except for the guy that gets... Never mind. (laughs) There's always one guy out there who was a chump. And he realizes too late. But anyway, sorry. Moving on. Um, Listen, we need to fill our minds with things that are genuine. That are real. That are honest. And I got an idea. What do you think is one thing that we could focus on that is real, that is genuine, and that is honest? Yeah! We'll go with that. The Bible, right? Okay, but there's, think about it. There's small group. There's people who, who take the word of God and they apply it to their life. And you hear the experiences of those people who maybe have taken a step or two before you. Man, you need to be involved in that. He says, not only that, think of those things that are honorable. Which means, think of those things that are not shameful. Okay? Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime. I got those too. Okay? And how many times have I clicked on something that if, if I were honest, 
was a bit shameful. And I spend 42 minutes or 2 hours and 15 minutes in front of something that is not noble, not worthy of respect, not honorable, but shameful. What does that put into the repertoire of my life? He says those things that are just, those things that are not rebellious. It's crazy to me how I grew up in the 80s, 90s, okay? During that time, some of my favorite shows was about teen rebellion. And that, that was the, the, the foundation of my life. Okay, I didn't grow up in church or anything, but the foundation of my life is, man, follow your heart, not your parents. And that, that plays as well. You know, they don't call it uh, teen movies anymore. They don't call it that. They have, a, they have a, another term for that that many of y'all know. It's called Disney. <laughs> I'm dead. I know. I'm in trouble. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah. Folks, God wants us to think about those things that are just. How about the things that are pure, not tainted, not mixed with impurity, wholesome thoughts? One of the things I like to do, uh, it's going to sound crazy, but sometimes instead of watching some of the, the normal stuff that's going on now, I'd like to watch The Rifleman here and there. Everyone with me? The Rifleman, that was a pretty cool show, man. I'm not saying that that show caused me to, to come to know Christ or anything, but it's good, wholesome you know, stuff. How about those things it says that are lovely, not offensive? Oh my goodness. There's sometimes, even on a TV show, I watch something in a commercial comes on and it's usually something to do with politics and right there in your face is something so offensive and I'm not just talking about sex or anything I'm talking about words I'm talking about how how commentators is called TBS or something like that there's a there's a commentator on there that totally blasts Trump but they don't do it in an honorable way they do it in a disgusting way and I'm thinking to myself I'm not I'm not saying go Trump or not I'm not going there what I'm doing is saying there is a lot of disgust Right in our media, constantly in our Facebook. There are times when I need to scroll a little faster. Then I need to ask myself, should I even be there at all? You know, and I, uh, these are things that you and I live with in a fallen world. Whatever you fill your mind with is what's going to come out. How about those things that are commendable? Folks, th- not listening to rumors and gossip, okay? But thinking about those things that are constructive, those things that are pleasing and agreeable. Basically this, if there is any virtue, measure this out. Parents, measure this out. If there is anything of virtue, moral excellence, or anything praiseworthy, let your minds dwell on it. You want to know what I wish? Too late now. My kids are all in college now. I wish I would have given them a cell phone later. Because my kids have been exposed to things that it took me, when I was growing up, a lot harder to to find. Parents, do you know what your kids are watching? That cell phone, let me ask you this. Uh, Who pays the the cell phone bill? Parents, right? Mostly. But some of them are like, well, I pay for my own. Guess what? You live in their house. Parents, we are God's appointed authority over our kids. We need to know 
that what they're feeding on is pure, is just, is, is lovely, is commendable, is true and honorable. But parents, how dare us put a standard on our children that we don't also keep? Let me ask you this. Is your life ruled by anxiety, pride, lust, selfishness, anger? Is what comes out of your mouth more foul than fragrant? If that's true, it's time to renew your mind. 2019, the year to renew your mind. Number six, we need to live in community. Say that again. Number six. We need to live in community. The majority of people here at Buck Creek are involved in a small group. You notice I didn't use the word every one of us are involved in small group. I said the majority, which means that there are some people that are not taking advantage of a God-given gift to the church. Community. Listen to what the scripture says here. In Philippians 4.9, Paul says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Paul's implying this, that the people that he is writing to have spent time with Paul, not just at a pulpit on Sunday mornings, okay? But they have spent real time with the Apostle Paul. They got to know Paul, his strengths, his weaknesses, how he deals with things that, that we don't deal with so well. And they've seen Paul through the good and the bad and the ugly. That only happens in community. Life was never meant to be lived alone. Never meant to be lived alone. Church is not a one-hour event. Church is who you are, not where you go. Church is a lifestyle, not an extracurricular activity. I, I, I urge you to make this a resolution in your life, to live in community. That's where you and I could be there for one another. To mentor, to disciple, to gain wisdom, correction, and encouragement. Listen, couples, families, singles, stop struggling alone. You don't have it in you to solve your problems. You're not built for that. God created you for community. He calls us church. Gathering together of believers to build each other up, to hold us accountable, to love on one another. Don't forsake it. And number seven, live out what you believe. Live out what you believe. You know what is so cool about next Sunday? Next Sunday, we're starting with our children and with our adults to give you content. We're going to give you uh, some great real life examples. We're going to give you scriptures. We're going to walk through things together. Some classes are going to have some homework. Okay? So some of us may be thinking, well, how can I start a quiet time? Guess what? You're going to have some great opportunities when you're involved in Life University. You're going to have that ability with you. But listen, just knowing it is not enough. Okay? Don't just think on those things that are good, but you need to live out what you believe. Paul says in Philippians 4, 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. What does he say? 
Practice these things. Do them. And the peace of God will be with you. This is what we desire. As we fill our minds on those things that bring glory to God, then we need to act on these beliefs. As God gives you wisdom, as God speaks in his word to you about what to do or what to not do, then do it or don't do it. That's what God is calling. Can you imagine what this world would be like if people who are called by his name would live out these seven resolutions? Think about it. If they would rejoice in the Lord and not their circumstances, no matter what's going their way, they're going to say, this world stinks, but God is good. If they would become gentle to other people, not seeking their rights, but instead focusing on their responsibility to love people to Christ. What if instead we remembered the nearness of God, that because he is right near me, I have nothing to fear. And because he's coming soon, I can live without regrets. Imagine if we were a type of people who prayed about everything. Literally, we prayed about everything with an expectation that God is going to answer that. Imagine if Buck Creek, I'm not talking about all the churches of the world. Imagine if Buck Creek said, we're going to be a people who is going to pray about everything and expect God to hear and answer according to his perfect plan. Imagine if there was a church that was that dependent, what that would do to the community, what that would do with our neighbors, what that would do with the doctors when we go and visit people or even we're there and they see the love of God in Christ in us even though we're going through the hardest circumstances. What if we developed right patterns of thought? How would that change our language? How would that change our relationships? How would that change our attitudes towards each other as well as to those outside? What if we truly believed in community and church was not an extracurricular activity, but instead it was the lifeblood of who we are? We didn't push our kids to a program. We invited our kids into relationship with God in his church. And we did the same by example. We lived what we say we believed. Wow. How the world would be changed. What is the result of all this? If we made this the resolution of our life, and we wanted to do this, here's what the scripture says. The peace of God will be with you. The peace of God. Right now, I know this Personally, anxiety, the drugs, the drug abuse, uh, the prescription drugs that we take, uh, everything is focused because we are a very anxious people. Our society is extremely anxious. I know, I've been into that myself. I'm there. Some of it, some of it is things that are out of our control. I get that. Sometimes the the neurons aren't doing just right in the brain. And I get that. And we need that help. But some of us, I believe, are struggling with anxiety. Because you are meant for another world. And you're not living who you are. Listen. The most frustrated people on this earth are not lost people. 
Not people who don't know Christ. They don't know any better, right? They're just living what they know. The most miserable people aren't, aren't Christians in general because they, they know who they are in Christ. And, and they're living, many of them are living the truths that we talked about today. The most miserable people are Christians who are living like the world. Because they, they don't even know their own identity. They're struggling in that. They, they want to have heaven, but they also want to have earth. And they're, they're schizophrenic in their attitudes and their actions. And it's driving them mad. Stop it, church. Be who you are. As Joshua would say, choose this day who you will serve. If you are a Christ follower, imagine what would happen if everyone at your workplace knew it. Imagine if you have put your faith and trust in Christ and your schoolmates. I'm not talking about a Facebook post. I'm talking about your words and your actions lining up with Christ. To which some of you are like, Scott, it's, I've blown it. Guess what? So have I. I'm as hypocritical as they come. But you know what God says? He doesn't say, oh well, don't worry about it. You know what He says, confess it. Turn from it. Repent and live for him. So right now, maybe during this invitation, maybe that's what your call is. It may not be to just sit here and to sing. It may be to say, God, I've not been living for you. So right now, I confess it to you. I agree what I've, the way I've lived has not been in line with your word. And so God, right now at this moment, I, I turn from that. I turn to you. I want these resolutions from God's word to be the mantra of my life this year. God, I want to know you more. Maybe that's what the invitation is about. But listen, listen, this is very important. You cannot have peace with God unless you first have peace with God. And the only way you can have peace with God is by receiving God who died for your sins. That's Jesus Christ. He came that Christmas day to die on Easter, or to die on Good Friday, to rise again on Easter. And he did it because he loves you. None of you can say, none of you can say, honestly, I don't think God loves me. He proved his love for you, and that he died for your sins. So during this invitation, maybe, maybe today is the day that you will want to receive him. Okay, you want to you want to start on that 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 path that relationship with God through Christ. If that's you, man, that is so awesome. That's what this church wants from you. It doesn't matter if you've been a deacon at this church uh, for many many terms. All right, if you've raised quote unquote godly kids, and then you may have realized that in 2018, you know what? I have lived religiously, but I have not come to know Christ. And so you may be thinking, if I stand up and I come to know Christ today, people are going to think weird about me. People aren't going to appreciate that. The opposite is true. We want to rejoice with you that you have come to know the Savior. If you're a guest, I know that may seem a little awkward. Maybe if someone invited you, maybe you grab them by the hand and have them pray with you. Whatever God is leading you to do. Listen, 2019 is literally two steps away, okay? Just two days away. Two days from now is not the time to decide. The day's the day to decide what you're going to do with him. Let's stand. I just want to pray for you right now. Father God, we are 
We're in awe of your faithfulness, of your promise, of your sacrifice so that we can live a life worth living, that we can live a year 2019, no matter what circumstances may come, we can have the fullness and assurance that God is with us, that he will lead us with his right hand, that he'll guide us with his counsel, and he'll take us one day to glory. God, my prayer this morning is first and foremost for those that do not know you yet. They may have lived a full life of church attendance, trying to keep rules and regulations, but they've never had a relationship with you. God, please, please save them today. Please call them from death to life. Father God, I pray for those who have come to know you as Savior and Lord. But God, those resolutions that come straight from your word have been so foreign to us, Father, because we have believed the lies. We have filled our minds with junk. We have sought... uh, Uh, our rights instead of our responsibilities. We have not forgiven. We have believed one thing and lived another. God, this morning, we just need to confess and repent. God, I want to enter 2019 with clean hands and a pure heart. And if I say to myself, I'll do it tomorrow, I will not do it. So God, please, please encourage me to do it now. God, may your perfect will be accomplished in this moment, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.